0: I love this a lot. (laughs) I wish I'd have known I could have wore an ugly sweater. (laughs) For God so loved the world. For God so loved each of us, the whole world, in our uniqueness, in our differences, God loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his own son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent him as a baby to endure all the things that we will endure. God, thank you for loving us this much. Thank you for our families. Thank you for allowing us to be part of your family. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Notice he had to straighten it. Come on, Johnny still didn't get it straight. People are gonna look at it the whole the whole time. Is it there? The Advent is, has been a cool thing. I don't know if you've been following with us, but on com, if you just go at the bottom, just click on the picture or paragraph or something, and it'll take you to a daily devotional that you out here have written, and it's just been fun. It's just been fun to see every day, even though I've known in advance uh, what is written and who wrote them, but just to see what pops up every day, and um, to see my son yesterday was pretty cool. and. Today is uh, Sophie Dolbeer. So, uh, where is Sophie? Where are you hiding, Sophie? She's not here? She she, faithfully is here on Sunday mornings and usually does the whole chair thing for us. And so, uh, too bad she's not here. Did you get that on tape, Dad? So, alright, show her later that I love Sophie. Uh, but read, read read Sophie's devotional today. She's a student at at uh, Westfield High School. Well, we're talking about Jesus, believe it or not, and where we left Jesus, uh, most most pastors today and next Sunday uh, are talking about Jesus the baby. But we're we're going to continue with our Jesus's public ministry, and actually. We're almost to the point of Easter, well, not really, because there's a lot of material that happens between now and the crucifixion. but what we've, what we've got gotten to just recently is he's debating with the Pharisees, and literally for three years, <laughs> as I'm talking to my friends and processing the the gospels, you just have to feel sorry for Jesus. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's because as, as much as you just want to hang out with the 12 guys and just love on them and teach them about goodness and kindness and about this heart change and what it means to have Sabbath rest, he, it seems like he's spending most of his time just dealing with sticking the muds. People that are concerned about the law, people that are concerned about killing them people that just want to, like, bury him. And so he literally walks here for three years trying to be love, but at the same time having to deal with the Pharisees, and not only the Pharisees, but his whole Jewish heritage. Like, you get this, right? You get that From the very beginning, God had chosen the Jewish people to be his people, to save them, to rescue them from their sin. Yet they continued to fail, repent, try again. You know that whole process, right? And so God says, I'm going to send a Savior, I'm going to send a Messiah that's going to take care of all this sin issue. And so their whole their whole lives, their whole generations, they're looking for this Messiah. Now the Messiah's come, and they don't recognize him. They can't see. So we pick up at the end of Luke 13, where he's just finished. Remember, he just escaped. He's on a, he was on the east side of the Jordan River, and he's coming back to Jerusalem for the very last time. His last trip to Jerusalem from Perea says in Luke 13, verse 31, at that time some Pharisees came and told him, go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. That's Herod Antipas. You know, Herod Antipas is the same guy that captured John the Baptist, which was like one of Jesus' best friends. And John the Baptist busted Herod Antipas for saying, dude, you realize that marrying your brother's wife sin that's what John the Baptist told Herod and so what Herod do he just beheaded John the Baptist it's like Jesus' best friend so automatically when you say Herod Jesus knows that this is an enemy because he's killed one of his own friends says go get out of here Herod wants to kill you (laughs) one of my commentaries at the bottom says this this was awesome don't when you get those study Bibles and everything, <laughs> I heard you. When you get those study Bibles, there's a line below the Word of God. And that line below the Word of God is man's word, man's interpretation. Don't always trust that. You hear me? Stay above the line. Stay, get one of those without the line. <laughs> Seriously. Because you have the same spirit in you that they have, and you're able to like read this thing and understand it and figure it out. But one of the guys uh, said this: despite largely negative portrayals of the Pharisees, not all of them were hostile toward Jesus. <laughs> now that may be a true statement, but that's not a true statement for this passage right here. And here's why I say that is like he's saying. Go, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. Well, let let me tell you something. We already know that Jesus is over in Perea. He's, He's over on the east side where Herod has no jurisdiction. And he's like saying, get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. Well, he's like in one of the safest places he could be because Herod has no jurisdiction. He's basically saying, go back into Herod's territory so Herod can kill you. So what it may seem like is that he's being sympathetic to Jesus, but in reality, he's ready to be hostile to Jesus. He's literally trying to scare God and manipulate him, which is kind of interesting because you and I both sit here and know there's a plan. Jesus and God the Father have already had a plan from the beginning, and it was this, that plan was that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be the Passover lamb, which means that he had to specifically die at the right moment. And so, therefore, anything that the Pharisees planned was against what God, the father and Jesus had already decided and so verse 32 it says he said to them this is jesus you go tell that fox you know the fox the fox was considered this very cunning animal like they they had plans you go tell that fox look i'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow and on the third day i will complete my work Now, what we know based upon what we've been reading is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Jews in what? Parables. In other words, he tells them something and they can't understand it. You know what he just told this person right here? He just told this person. First of all, this is a very rhetorical, sarcastic statement that Jesus is making right here. He called called Herod a fox because Herod had a plan. And honestly, Jesus is like saying, I got my own plan. This is what I'm doing. Like today, we're healing and we're taking care of people. And then tomorrow and on the third day, I will complete my work. He was really prophesying about his crucifixion, his burial and then his resurrection, in parable form. Yet Herod would never know that. It says in verse 33, Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it's not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement. To sit there and say outside of Jerusalem... All the prophets have come to Jerusalem and have been killed by you, the Jews. It's impossible for me to, like, die outside of here just because of history. History's proven that as they've come and talked about the Messiah and everything else, you guys, you Jews, you Pharisees, have killed them right there in Jerusalem. And then it gets to verse 34. He sat there and talked to this Pharisee and said, look, here's the deal. But then he gets to the end and it says this is a lament. Much like the book of Lamentations. Does he do this, say this in anger? Or does he say this in anguish? When you deal with with sin you have the option of dealing with it with anger or with sadness I believe that he was anguished he literally said Jerusalem Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those that were sent to her how often I I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. <laughs> but you you weren't willing to. You weren't willing. You had a choice. You had a choice. But you chose not to believe that I was the Messiah. I wanted, I tried, I literally came down here and tried to save you. I did everything that I could, but you couldn't hear. Verse 35, it says, see, your house is abandoned to you. You know, I I sit there and I, I think about it. I thought about it all week long as my daughter, my 18-year-old daughter's got the flu, had temperature every day this week. I stayed away from her. But her mom was her mom. Her mom was in anguish. Her mom took care of her. It's like a mom's supposed to. I sit there and i look at that and i go i i believe that jesus truly loved his own people and he tried he tried to heal them but they chose not to and therefore we all know what happened in 70 a.d that the jews were destroyed he says i tell you you will not see me until the time comes when you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Jesus is literally talking prophecy here. He says, at some point, all the Jewish nation will literally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They will literally bow down and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And we know, based upon what Scripture says, is that actually Jewish leaders will call Jesus back at the second coming. Look, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. This is a prophet in the Old Testament before Jesus is even born. It says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David. Jesus came from the house of David. It says, I will pour out a prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they pierced, whom they killed. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for only a child and weep bitterly for him as one who weeps for a firstborn. The Jewish nation will literally turn and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we move on to Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. One Sabbath, one Sabbath, this is where they all gathered at the synagogues, When he went to eat in the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. So eating together after church is biblical. (laughs) This is what they did. There's many times that on the Sabbath, Jesus went and ate with the people. After church, you just hung out together. Very biblical thing to do. Jesus often got invited to homes after church. And here's the sketchy part of it: is Jesus always had to discern the heart of the person who was doing the invite. Because he, ne- he never knew if they were wanting him to come just so that he could teach them, to heal them, Or to trap him. That'd really stink, wouldn't it? You had to, like, evaluate your invitation, yet he would still go. You know what they say? Keep your eyes on your enemies, keep them close. That goes both ways. The Pharisees wanted to keep Jesus close, Jesus wanted to be close to the Pharisees. And this is crazy. It says, There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Some of your translations will say specifically that he had dropsy, which is edema, which is this buildup of fluid in your body, mainly in the skin area, which could become from stomach issues, kidney issues, whatever. But literally, they've placed this sick, Man, right in front of Jesus. Jesus walks in to a Pharisee's house and all of a sudden there's an obvious ill person right in front of Jesus. The Pharisees used this poor man to trap Jesus. That's pretty sick, right? Think about it for a second. Hey, let's get this guy in here. It's the Sabbath. What's Jesus going to do? We know this guy. He really can't stop healing people. How can we trap him? Well, let's just put a sick person right in front of him on the Sabbath. Now, how do you discern this invitation? Oh, I get it. I get it. You know, Jesus didn't really care that it was the Sabbath because as we've studied, as we've studied already, he's already healed like seven people on the Sabbath. Remember this? He cast out a demon in Luke chapter 4. He healed a fever in Luke chapter 4. He allowed his disciples to pluck grain in Luke chapter 6. He healed a lame man in John chapter 5. He healed a man with a paralyzed hand in Luke chapter 6. He delivered a crippled woman who was afflicted by a demon in Luke 13. And he healed a man born blind in John 9. Jesus didn't care about healing on the Sabbath. How many times can I break this law that's not God's law, it's man's law? He was all about breaking the Pharisees' laws, but he kept every one of his father's laws. You see, there is a difference between God's law and the oral tradition of the Pharisees. They made up a bunch of new laws because they didn't think that God's laws protected them enough. We need more laws to protect us. Sounds familiar today, right? Let's just make another law. That'll protect us. More laws to break. That's pretty much the way Jesus saw it. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? (laughs) Now, I just sat there and read seven times, and Jesus is asking the question, is it lawful to... He knew the answer to that. This was for the benefit of the crowd, and also, you showed your Jewish wisdom. You showed your Jewish wisdom by, once you were put in a situation or you were asked a question, is to respond with a question in return. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He responded with a question. And now Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. If they said no, then they would be heartless. How can you not heal this man? But if they said yes, then they would be considered lawless. So he actually turned this whole situation back on the Pharisees that were intending to trap him. Verse 4, it says, but they kept silent. Jesus asked him a question. Nobody said anything because they knew he just reversed the whole thing on them. They knew. Just shut up and don't say anything because we're in this trap ourselves. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Literally, if you come into a crisis where your son is needs help, are you just going to sit there and watch him on the... Oh, sorry, son, it's the Sabbath. They're not going to do that. And he knows it. They could find no answer to these things. Jesus used this man to really turn the whole tables on him. They tried to bait Jesus with this man They used this man. And they tried to prove Jesus wrong. And guess what Jesus did? Obviously, he heals the man. And therefore, what they wanted to prove against Jesus, he proved one more time that he's the Messiah. They couldn't heal him. They couldn't do it. This man been sick for a long time. Jesus did it. Do I need to prove anymore that I'm the Messiah? You guys are gonna bait me with this, but I'm gonna show you what's the most important thing. And then he goes into another parable. He told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed, they would choose the best places for themselves. You know, uh, experts in management tell us that most people wear this invisible sign on them that says, please make me feel important. I did youth ministry for many years. And one of the things that we would do is we would have Sunday school rooms and, and we would have the kids bring things into the room that were their own personal items. Remember that? And they would place them in their Sunday school room and they would stay there all year long because we wanted them to feel like they were important and somebody cared about them. Anytime that I like go into a, a, a student's house, I go straight to their bedroom. And look at their bedroom because what's important to them? Their bedroom. I want to see your bedroom. That sounds kind of weird today, right? (laughs) I don't care. I know what's important to them. I'll take that chance. Because literally, that's all we want to do is feel important. You adults aren't any different. We all want to feel important. And what typically happened at these banquets is—is this—is whoever created the banquet invited people. They would always set the tables up, and whoever was the most important sat by the person who was having the banquet. It's a big deal. It, it, it's kind of like our weddings today. <laughs> you realize that the bride and groom always rank their family and friends. <laughs> I mean, as many weddings as I've done, okay, who's in what order? You just ranked your family and friends based upon that order and how they're going to sit at the table. Well, this is exactly what's happening right here. It says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished guest person than you may have been invited by your host. <laughs> That's embarrassing, right? Like you go and take like the, one of the top spots and they say, can you move over so somebody can sit here? You don't want to do that. It says, The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's like, why don't you just hang out in the back of the crowd? Why don't you just wait? And for those of you that are good at doing that, hanging out in the back of the crowd, Try not to judge the ones that are at the front of the crowd. Just hang out in the back. Jesus said, it's okay. Be last. You might be put up to the front of the line. Jesus obviously is expressing to these Pharisees right here, why don't you just be humble? You guys are the worst. <laughs> I hear all you all saying out there. <laughs> Verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. You know, that's the deal. Is Hey, come over for dinner. <laughs> And then there's always an expectation of, when are you going to invite us over? He says, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. You see, in those days, the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind were kicked to the curb. They were the lowest of the lowest, and nobody took care of them. In today's society... It's honorable and expected to protect the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind. Times have changed, so you keep this in context of what he's saying right here. He's saying, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, don't invite people. Jesus is not against fellowship. he's really talking about your heart it's your heart are you doing this for you or are you doing this for others Jesus was really against that established system on who invited based upon how good they were or how special they were how important they were made to feel. He's saying, literally, open your eyes and be more inclusive. He's saying to the Pharisees, look around you and realize there's people that Could be encouraged by you. The crazy thing is, you know who Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees? The Gentiles. (laughs) Yeah. He he's referring to the Gentiles. Why don't you invite those people? Why does it always have to be the Jews? And then, verse 15, it says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. One of the Jews is sitting there listening to Jesus talk about, Hey, just be humble, invite others in, do all these things. And one of the Jews stands up and says, Yeah! Yeah! Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. <laughs> and you know Jesus just wanted to say, sit down. <laughs> yes. Dilly dilly. Sit down. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> we learned this week that dilly actually means delightful. <laughs> Delight like amen. Then he told him, a man, this is, he's referring to God the Father right here. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says a man, and he's literally talking about his father, he says, was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything's ready now. You see, when they invited people over, They had to get a guest list of who was coming, but they were never told a time of what time to come because they sent a servant out and said, Hey, dinner's ready. It's kind of crazy. We have a specific time and we show up, and dinner's got to be ready at that specific time. But here, the host basically did what they had to do. And when they were ready, they went out and got the people. And it says, "The The servant went out, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. But we're assuming this was dinner and he's going out at nighttime to check out a field. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. He's wanting to test drive his oxen. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. (laughs) Ha, 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 think about it. Literally, in those days, having a new wife kept the man from being in the battlefield, but it definitely didn't keep them from having dinner. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, did you catch that? The master that invited everybody had invitations, prepared everything for them. They all rejected him. Said he was angry. It says, <clears throat> Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master of the servant said, What you ordered has been done, and there's still room. The party was planned. Nobody came, and he's like, just go out and get whoever you can to come. And they said, we did, but there's there's still room. You know, literally, there was a bride and groom that were going to get married here in Indianapolis this year. And the week before... Two weeks before the wedding that was already planned and paid for, the marriage ended, and the bride had already like paid for everything over at Rich Charles, and she went down and got buses and brought in the homeless and the poor and fed them her wedding banquet. True story. It says master then told the servant go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled for i tell you not one of these people who were invited will enjoy my banquet Ah, ah. you were invited you chose you chose chose not to come sorry about you door is closing The Jewish nation refused to come to the banquet is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees in parable form. My dad was throwing a party. You were at the top of the list. You chose not to come. So God now invited the Samaritans. (laughs) You know the Samaritans. They were the half-breeds, part Jews, part Gentiles. Not only the Samaritans, but the Gentiles are coming to the party. And there's plenty of room for more. But at some point, that door is closing. And then we close down this chapter. It says, Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, You, you heard that, right? Great crowds. is just mass of people following Jesus as he's coming from Perea to Jerusalem. And he On his way to Jerusalem, he's trying to thin them out here. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate's a pretty strong word. We've determined that in theological definitions that hate actually means to love less. Anybody who doesn't love less their father, their mother, their family, even their own life, than God the Father. Like, you got to make me the most important thing is what Jesus is saying. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oh, here we go, religious people. Whoever does not bear his cross... I was taught every day I woke up, I had to get up and bear my cross. I had to live this mundane Christian life and do this and this and this and all these rules and everything else to be a good person. I had to bear my cross every day. Anybody else been taught that? Oh, yeah. Well, guess what? How many crosses did Jesus bear? Let me ask that again. How many crosses did Jesus bear? One cross. He died one time. And guess what happened? I died with him one time. That cross that I bear is the same cross. Now you're like going, what? Galatians 2.20. For I, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with him. Somehow, some way, when I was eight years old, I believed that Jesus was my Savior and it just like spiritually took me back to that point on Calvary where my life was crucified with Christ. I don't know how that works. just works. Rusty, the old sinful 8-year-old that he was, died. My sinful nature died on the cross. That time, at that time went dilly-dilly. At that time, <laughs> at that time, at that time right there, he took my old heart out and he put a new heart in and he made me a new person. I am a new believer in Jesus Christ. At 8 years old, I didn't have a clue. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. But guess what? He made me a new person. And so every morning that I get up, I get up as a resurrected new life in Christ. Amen. I, I don't have to, look, I don't have to bear that cross every day. I did it one time. And it's Christ's cross, not my cross. Every day I get up, I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. Now watch this. This is important because I hear you say this a lot. (coughs) Because of what Christ did, the way he looks at me and the way he sees me, the way he sees me, is Christ in me, and, and I'm perfect, holy, and redeemed, and just. The reason that he sees you that way is because he made you that way. Like, he doesn't just see Jesus in you, and okay, okay, we were, like got Jesus covered over Luke right here, I see my son. No, he made Luke perfect, holy, redeemed, and just huh Dilly-dilly. Absolutely, I believe it with all my heart, Luke. You, you, you see there's a difference, right? You see there's a difference the way He sees me versus the way that He made me. Because He made me whole, because He made me perfect in Him. He made me perfect in Him based upon what it says in Hebrews. That's the way that He sees me. Because He made me that way. He didn't just see me that way. He made me that way. Get that right. You get that right, whoo, this whole thing changes right there. Just walk in it that He made you holy. But if you never like did that whole dying on the cross thing, he, He's saying, you he can't be my disciple. It says says this for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it otherwise after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish in other words like surely you've thought about what it means to believe in jesus right you've you've zoomed out and saw the bigger picture right You saw the end of this thing. He says, Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. It's going to cost you going to cost you i how many times already the last few weeks have i heard from my family what do you want for christmas i have no idea what i want for christmas i got it really really I I honestly cannot answer. I'm at that point in my life where I can't answer that question. What do you want for Christmas? Maybe just to hang out with people? He says, now salt is good, but if the salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. He's like looking at the Pharisees and saying, you ain't worth. (laughs) They throw it out. Let anyone who has an ear to hear, listen. My God, if you can't hear this, Lord, I pray that they just are able to hear your word. And that it's not me up here, but it's you. Lord, my prayer today is (laughs) that this just isn't something that we do, but it's something that we are. That you would just make it real in us we figure out what it means to be the salt of the earth, to preserve this earth, to be kind, to be generous, to just love people. And when we do that, their ears will be open to hear that you are the Messiah. If we can just be the salt of the earth, We can tell people that you came to save us. That you came to redeem us. That you came to make us holy. That you came to forgive us. That you came to make us pure. That you came to make us perfect. Lord, let that ring in our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.